Poso maoni work, wai wanen kitanen ni mo e yoski pietaya posnotaman e yum MITW podcast. A yospis pietaya posnapi notaman and he sikimaka e yoso matnamene hokihi. Welcome to the Nominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. I am your host, Chena Wapus. On this episode, we are joined by Vaughn Bowles, Public Information Officer for the Nominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. I would like to remind everyone, we request you send in your COVID-19 related questions to us at podcast at MITW.org. Welcome, Vaughn. Hi, Sheena. So um, just before we start, can you quickly go over people who are now eligible for the vaccine and how they can get it? Individuals that are eligible to get vaccinated right now are anyone that's a tribal member or descendant um, and or tribal employee or county employee that is over the age of 18. Um, also, anyone that's a an adult and a permanent resident of Menominee County is um, eligible at this time. And we're also uh, going to open up uh, that eligibility to family members in the coming weeks. So that'll be soon. We'll release that to the public, um, but pretty soon it'll be just about everybody. So everyone that wants one can get one soon. And how would they go about <clears throat> scheduling that or where would they go? All right. So they would want to contact um, Ron Bowen at the Menominee Tribal Clinic. Um, we can put his phone number in the show notes if you want or his, and his email. Um, they just state that, you know, they're an eligible individual um, and they can be scheduled through the clinic. Uh, then once vaccination day comes, it's usually on Thursdays and Fridays when they're holding the clinics, uh, they'll go to the Menominee Casino Resort um, and be vaccinated. And there is a walk-in clinic today, right? Yep. I believe we are holding walk-in clinic today, yes. So if you don't have an appointment but want to go in, um, you can. You'll be more than welcome, and we'll, uh, we'll get you fixed up there. Okay. So um, we've been sent an article that was published in the Indian Country today on March 10th <clears throat> regarding effectiveness of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in Native Americans. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. In the original uh, March 10th article, uh, the the doctor that was writing it um, was claiming that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was less effective for Native Americans. Um, that said, uh, I've done a little bit of research into the article, reread it a couple times, and also looked to some other credible sources um, regarding the efficacy or the usefulness of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, what I can say is that the Urban Indian Health Institute uh, in Seattle, Washington, and also our very own Great Lakes Intertribal Council Epidemiology Center uh, have both kind of put out rebuttals to this article and pointed out that the article uses an extremely small set of data to draw their conclusions. Um, when you have small data sets like that, it's, it's very easy for numbers to get skewed in one direction or another. Um, we can assure you at this time, you know, both epidemiology centers um, have independently verified that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you know, is just effective for Native Americans and Alaskan Natives um, as, you know, any other uh, ethnic group that's out there. So, you know, if you are presented with the opportunity to get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine or want a vaccine that's one shot instead of two, 
Um, we highly recommend getting it. I know Dr. Schlegel has been ordering the Johnson & Johnson vaccine for our clinic, so um, that might be available at a later date. Uh, they haven't given us the update yet of when that'll come in, but the order's been put in. Um, if you like um, a little more information or, you know, uh, links to the articles by the Urban Indian Health Center. We can definitely put those in the show notes today. Oh, so with Biden's new COVID relief package that passed, will the tribe be receiving more funding? The short answer is probably. And here's why. It looks like there's been about $20 billion set aside for tribal governments to combat COVID-19 and stabilize tribal communities. Um, and safety nets that they have. Um, there are also other um, other points uh, within the bill that provide, uh, looks like $1.2 billion for HUD and tribal housing programs, um, another $1.1 billion for native education programs, a billion dollars for native families and child care programs, um, $900 million for welfare and assistant programs and public safety nets uh, in tribal communities, $600 million in critical economic infrastructure, um, so roads and you know telecommunications and things like that. It looks like there's been $20 million set aside to mitigate the impact of COVID on native languages. So if you've had you know immersion programs or something that have been interrupted, interrupted um, this should help get those back on schedule, back on track. Um, and it also looks like there's been about um, 19 million um, set aside specifically for Native Americans to combat domestic violence issues. Um, so yes, there has been money set aside. Um, will the tribe get some of it? There's a good chance that if we apply, we will get funding for various projects. So probably. The next question is something that I've seen pop up quite a bit on social media. A lot of people are wondering if there's going to be a contest powwow this year. Yeah, we're not sure yet whether we're going to hold the powwow this year because um, I know that brings in a lot of individuals from different parts of the country. Um, so it kind of depends on how we're doing with our you know, vaccination program, um, how we're doing with our new COVID caseloads um, and things like that. So it's definitely something we're going to watch for. Um, I will bring it up in incident command uh, because I know I've received questions about it as well. So we'll try to get answers as soon as possible. With restrictions being eased in a lot of places, should we prepare to see another surge uh, in cases? You know, we should be ready to deal with a surge. However, we're hoping that as people continue to you know, voluntarily get vaccinated and voluntarily social distance, use masks um, and, you know, minimize travel, hopefully we won't see a new surge pop up. Do we have any more information on reinfections? So currently, this is a quote from the CDC's website. I looked that up and I was like, oh, what is it? They say, quote, cases of reinfection of COVID-19 have been reported, but remain rare. And that's like all they say. I was like, Wow, that was very nonspecific, but great news, I guess. So they're continuing to do more research on the reinfection rate. Um, but yes, we'll tell the population right now, it's a pretty rare occurrence to be reinfected with COVID-19, which is great news. And is there any more information about variants? Yeah, there are. there is actually. Um, so let's talk about variants really quick. Um, the CDC and DHS, when they identify... 
a new pathogen, whether it's a virus, a bacteria, prion, anything that can make you sick, it usually falls into one of three categories. Variants of interest, um, where they find that there's, you know, changes in and how the receptors are binding, proteins are formed, or um, those also uh, may have a reduced um, rate, sorry, they may... Um, they may see reduced rates of any antibody neutralization. So it's any variant that, you know, you can't fight off quite as much. Um, that's the first level. There's also variants of concern. These ones have increased transmission rates. Uh, they're more severe. There's usually a higher rate of hospitalizations and deaths. Um, and they find that there's significantly reduced antibody reactions. Um, there's also uh, diagnostic failures and stuff, so it may not be picked up by some tests. Um, and you can have ineffective treatments. Um, the highest level is variants of high concern or high consequence, um, and these have a clear evidence that preventative measures aren't working. Um, and so the good news is currently there aren't any variants of high consequence of COVID-19 that we know of. Yay for our side. So there are several variants of concern. We've talked about those in the past. Um, those include uh, B117, which is the UK strain, uh, B1351, it's the South African strain, and P1, which is the Brazilian or Japanese strain. They found it in both places. Um, Right now, all 50 states can report on uh, B117. About half of them can report on 1351. And only about 12 states right now have the testing for P1. Um, and so that's, that's how that is right now. Right now, um, they've found uh, the B117 ha transmits at about a 50% higher rate than the, they call it the wild strain or the original strains of COVID. Um, it also uh, is a little more resistant to uh, monoclonal antibody treatment or treatment to convalescent plasma. And they think that right now there may be a slightly lower vaccination um, efficacy or, or effectiveness against this. Um, and it's the same with the South African strain. Uh, as far as P1, the Brazilian strain, um, they don't see that one spreading more, but they do see the reduced um, efficacy of the monoclonal antibodies and the convalescent plasma and the vaccines. Um, not to be outdone, though, California has developed two of its own variant strains. Thanks, California. Appreciate that. It increases at about a 20% higher rate than regular COVID, um, and it also is a little more resistant to monoclonal antibodies, convalescent plasma, and vaccines. Um, if you'd like some more details on this, there are maps of um, where these strains are popping up. Um, we can link those in the show notes there to the CDC's website. Um, thankfully, in Wisconsin, we've had less than uh, 150 cases of the variants in the state, um, but that doesn't mean there aren't more. It just means they haven't been reported yet because it takes you know some pretty specific um, lab equipment to map the genome and you know verify whether or not it's a variant or not. Um, some states that have had higher cases of these variants include Michigan and Minnesota, California, Colorado, Texas, Florida, Maryland, Rhode Island, New Jersey, and Maryland. Those are the kind of the hot spots for the variants right now. Um, so that's the update that we have right now on those. <clears throat> this week I've also heard a lot about the AstraZeneca vaccine and the, it was being called into question in Europe. Can you talk about that? Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of information out there right now. So the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, 
hasn't been approved for emergency use in the United States right now. Just want to start with that. Um, it has been used uh, pretty extensively in the UK because it was developed with AstraZeneca and Oxford. They worked together for that, so they've used it pretty significantly. Um, there have been between three and 30 cases across Europe where they've had um, uh, what they call th uh, thromboembolisms, essentially they're blood clots. Um, and so some European countries have discontinued it. They say it's increased the rate of, of clotting to about one in 167,000 cases or doses given. Um, the UK, however, has come back and said that is not the case. This only causes that in one in 500,000 cases. So um, there's kind of a, a big difference between that. Um, but you really got to step back at this point and ask, you know, how, how common of a problem is this? I mean, is, is blood clotting really a problem? Well, just to throw out some, some numbers, if you want to look at it, in, in the U.S., there are about one to two in a thousand adults that will have some sort of blood clotting issue every year. Um, whether it's, you know, a deep vein thrombosis or a pulmonary embolism. And that comes out to about 900,000 people per year. Um, so if you're looking at it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is the vaccine causing more, you know, clotting? Maybe. Maybe it's just, you know, an, an affect of, you know, the statistics. Um, they really don't know right now. They're just pulling it right now to be on the cautious side, which makes sense. Okay, our final question is um, from social media. It says, if you're allergic to the flu shot, should be should you be worried about the COVID vaccine? I'm going to preface this one with, I'm not a doctor. That's it. If you have had an allergic reaction to any sort of vaccine in the past, whether you know it's flu, MMR, chickenpox, um, what have you, talk to your doctor before getting the COVID vaccine. Really want to weigh the risks out with them before you make your decision. You know, if you're going to have an anaphylactic reaction, might not be worth it. On the other hand, if you're going to have a rash for a few days, that might be something worth enduring to, you know, prevent possible lung damage down the road. So um, contact your doctor, you know, make a wise choice. Do you have any final words to say to people? You know, we'd just like to thank everyone that's, you know, taken part in the vaccination program. Um, you know, if you, if you've gotten your first one, we'd really like to remind you to come in for your second one. And that'll usually be four weeks after your first vaccination. I know some people, um, haven't been able to get in for that, but we'd strongly encourage it, uh, just to make sure you have that full protection. So get vaccinated, stay healthy, have a good weekend. Why went in for listening to the Nominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to the podcast on menominee-nsn.gov under the community tab. Keep up to date by following us on Facebook at MITW Podcast. We do weekly updates with Vaughn and we do welcome any community questions you have regarding COVID-19. So please send those to us via email at podcast at mitw.org.